Job chapter 29, verse 2. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Job says this. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and, and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime. Amen? <laughs> oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out the streams of olive oil. Well, he's really thinking back. When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words, and we pray today, as we enter a new year, that we make that transition for your glory, for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> Belated, but that's good. I'll take it. What an interesting term, Happy New Year. I think if some of us were honest, we'd say, Terrible New Year. <laughs> if you look, if you watch the news and you see the climate out there and the problems that we have in our world, you might say that, but I like the term happy new year. There is a, an implicit hope in that term, happy new year. It's actually pretty good doctrine, happy new year. That's my prayer and my hope that it is a happy new year or better than that, a blessed new year. There is a sense of hope that we should have. So today's message is entitled Spring Forward. Now, don't go home and change your clocks. It's not time for that yet. But I think now is a good time for us to do that, to, to spring forward because it's a new year. I don't want you to muddle through the new year. I don't want you to drag your heels for three or four months because God has purpose and plans for your life, for his kingdom and for this church here and now. And that's what we're going to look at today. So the message is spring forward. I recently began a new edition I shared with you. I call it Bad Theology of the Week. Do you remember that? Well, today's Bad Theology of the Week is presented by Job, and he gets some help by his wife as well. We'll look at that in just a minute. Before we get there, a quick review of our good friend Job. We know in chapter 1 of the book of Job that Job was blameless and upright. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had tens of thousands of livestock. He had 3,000 camels. I don't even know what you do with 3,000 camels. That's a lot of camels. The first chapter describes Job as the greatest man in the nation. He was the richest, the most famous, 
the most well-liked and had the best reputation. But then, of no fault of his own, he lost it all, literally overnight. All of his livestock were stolen. There was a terrible tragedy and a house fell on his kids while they were having a party. They were all grown and they were all killed. All 10 of his kids were killed in a moment. In addition to all of that, losing all of his fortune, all of his livestock were stolen. So he had nothing. He owned nothing. And what he had burned down or died. All he had left was his wife and she wasn't very, very helpful. We'll talk about that in a minute. Covered in sores. He went from having everything to having nothing. So you remember the book of Job. This happened very quickly in the first few chapters. And the rest of Job, uh, uh, which are a number of chapters, 20-something chapters, uh, excuse me, 30-something chapters, I think 39 or 40 chapters, 39 chapters, I want to say. Am I right? Does anybody know? 42, that's what I said, 42. <laughs> Almost the whole book is a conversation that Job has with three of his best friends, and I use the term best friends lightly, but he's having this conversation. Here he is, he's lost everything, he's covered in sores, and so his free, three friends come to console him. <clears throat> Kudos to anybody, without looking down, who can share with me the name of his three friends. You'll have to, you have to speak louder than that. There was Zophar, a guy named Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad the Shuhite. My professor used to say that was the shortest man in the Bible, Bildad the Shuhite. Get it? Yeah. Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad. Now, um, not very snappy names. We don't typically name our kids that, but they spend the entire book. It's a dialogue between them and Job, and they take turns, not encouraging him, but blaming him. And the basic pr premise of the book is, Job, good things happened. Obviously, you're a great guy. Terrible things have happened now, and obviously, you're a sinner. You've done something bad. You need to confess it. You need to stop stalling. Just own it. Get it out there so you move on with your life. And then Job would always respond and say, no, I'm telling you, it's not me. I didn't do it. I haven't done anything. And then the next guy would bash him for a while. And then the third guy would bash him. And they just took turns after him. You ever have friends like that? I think it's time for Job to get new friends. Uh, so in the midst of all that dialogue, here Job is in chapter 29. He's reminiscing, and that's what we, uh, we get today. So our bad theology for the week is, number one, Job romanticized the past. He romanticized the past, and I mean romanticized. If you were listening and reading along with me while ago, I mean... Wow, he lays it on really thick. If he don't believe me, in fact, he looked back as though his life were perfect. And I assure you it was not. But he sees it and remembers it that way. And if you don't believe me, look with me a few verses down in Job chapter 29 in verse 21. Go down to verse 21. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> Men listen to me expectantly. 
waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as showers, as for showers, and drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, <laughs> they scarcely believed it. <laughs> The light of my face was precious to them. It's odd to hear a man say that. The light of my face was precious to them. Oh my goodness. I could pour that on my pancakes. <laughs> I mean, you talk about romanticizing the past. And I'm not saying what he's saying is inaccurate. I'm just saying that he has a very lopsided, one-sided view of his past. You see, I know that Job grew up in a fallen world because it has been fallen since the day of Adam and Eve. I know that Job was not a perfect man, that like you and me, Job made mistakes. I know that Job had failures in his life and problems in his life and difficulties in his life and disappointments in his life, and yet he mentions none of them here or anywhere else. He romanticized his past. He saw only the good as if everything was fantastic. <coughs> Now, what's so wrong with that? Maybe you're not in the prime of your life either. Maybe you feel like Job today. Maybe you've been thinking about 2021 and 2020, and they just haven't been great years, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I remember back in, or maybe you tell your kids or your grandkids, oh, the 70s, they were great, or the 60s or whatever your generation is, and you remember those wonderful times when your children were tiny and life was good. And you romanticize that. You forget about all the problems and the challenges. Why do we do that? Well, <clears throat> I looked at an article. This is from uh, uh, the publication Psychology Today, a secular publication. And I don't know if this author is a Christian or not. I don't know, but I found uh, this testimony that the writer gave fascinating. The title of the article is, and it's a long one, a typical psychology article, romanticizing the past makes us feel bad about the present. And then the rest of the, art, uh, the title is how distorted memories of the past can become a source of suffering. Interesting. This is what the writer says. My life changed dramatically in 2001 when I became chronically ill and had to give up a career that I loved. Although I had I've adjusted to my new life, I can still find myself romanticizing the past. When I do this, I convince, I convince myself that before I got sick, my life was perfect. Working as a law professor was always fulfilling. My family life was everything I could hope for. Was all of this true? No. Being a law professor was difficult at times, and although I enjoyed most of my students, occasionally one would be very unpleasant. My family life was definitely good, but it could be stressful at times. No, she says, life wasn't perfect before I got sick. It had its share of easy times and tough times, of successes and disappointments. When I find myself putting that old life on a pedestal and thinking that it was perfect, I try to remember that this is a romanticized view of the past, listen to what she says, that serves only to make me feel bad about the present. So anytime that you and I 
say, oh, I used to have it good. What are we really saying? It's bad right now. It's our way of criticizing the here and now or having a lack of hope for the future when we just focus on the good days of the past. Nothing wrong with remembering the past. But we do the same thing as this author with generations. Oh, do you remember the 1950s, the golden era? I wasn't even alive in the 50s, and I long for the 50s. Now, for those of you who are alive in the 50s, you have wonderful, precious memories of growing up. In our country, had a booming economy after World War II. My memory of the 1950s, because of the fact that I wasn't alive, and my longing for the 1950s has to do solely with automobiles. The cars of the 1950s were spectacular. And I know, congregation, please forgive me. You get tired of me talking about cars. But that was a generation like no other between 50 and 60. It was a generation where the designs of the cars were changed, not once every 10 years or five years, every single year. The 1956 uh, Chevy was completely different than the 1957 Chevy. Totally different design. All new design in 57. And they only did it one year. In 58, completely different design. One year. 59, a completely different design. And so they, they innovated as a result of doing that. And you see rolling works of art. And so I romanticized the 50s strictly based on automobiles alone. Now from a mechanical point of view, and I'm not that mechanical, but they were terrible cars. <laughs> they were not safe. They had these tubeless tires. The radial tires hadn't come out yet. And if you had a blowout, you'd probably die. The, the steering columns weren't even collapsible. So if you had a, a collision with something, the steering column came right through your chest and killed you. They were not safe cars, but they were beautiful. I, I don't think about the safety. And that's what we do with the past. Those of you who grew up in the 60s, oh, what a wonderful time. No, no. <laughs> uh, you might want to go read the history again. The 1970s, oh, what a great time. No, it's terrible. I, we were going through a puberty as a country in the 1970s. It was really bad. That's when they passed Roe versus Wade. And a lot of bad things happened in the 1970s. In fact, I romanticized the 1950s, but I can tell you, I wouldn't even be a pastor if this were 1955. You would not allow me to be your pastor because when in 1955, there was no such thing as a, a Southern Baptist pastor ever who was in an interracial marriage. My wife is Filipino. You'd fire me immediately if I married someone who was not white. Nobody had ever heard of that. That was the 1950s. And so if, if we want to romanticize things, I have to be careful because they weren't as great as sometimes we remember. Now, there were morally, there were some great things that happened. Economically, some great things that happened, but they were not ever perfect years. So why did we do that? Well, we do that to show our dissatisfaction for here and now, 2021. Was that a good year? Was it a fantastic year? Was it a wonderful year or a terrible year? Now, here's the thing. Mark my words. I probably said this last year. I don't remember. I didn't look back, but I'll tell you this. Mark my words. In 20 years, in 2041, those of us who are still alive will look back at 2021 and we will say, oh, what a great year that was. That was the best year ever. 
We'll forget all about this pandemic stuff and the, the politics, and, and we'll talk about those wonderful things of 2021. It's an interesting perspective. And we'll say that, and we'll believe that, because we won't like 2041 at all. It'll be just awful. And we romanticize the past. The greatest problem with that, and you may be thinking, so what, Pastor? Why not look back fondly at the past, even if we use it to criticize the present? It, the problem is it belittles the great things that God is doing now, here, in your life, that God desires for you and through you and from you. We say, this is terrible. God can't do any good things in this year because it's a this and this problem and that problem. And it's all a big mess. And God is going, what? what? God is sovereign over this year and every year. So don't miss it. It's a shame we have to wait till 2041 or 2042 in order to embrace this year and its goodness. The second thing that Job did, the second bad theology of the week, is that Job misunderstood God's presence. Be careful about this. If you look back with me in the verse that I read at the very beginning, one of the verses in chapter 29, verse 4, Job said this, Oh, for the days when I was in my prime. Remember I said amen? The older you get, the, the, the more I... I find myself saying that or thinking that or something like that. Or for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, listen to verse five, when the Almighty was still with me. Now, what does he mean by that? By saying, I remember the day when God was with me, he's saying, really what? He's not with me anymore. That's exactly what Job is saying. God's gone. You know, I've told you before in, in the 1960s and 70s when Elvis would do concerts, after his concerts were over, nobody would leave. They would call for an encore. And maybe he would come out and do an encore, but then he would, would leave and he would, he would be gone. And the people would be, still be there in the building. They refused to leave because they're shouting for another encore from Elvis. And finally an announcer guy would have to come out and say what? Elvis has left the building. Well, this is Job. That's what they would say. This is Job and his way of saying, God has left the building. Oh, for the day he was with me. He's not here now. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know where he went. In fact, he came to the point of, of criticizing God or confronting God and saying, where are you? demanding God answer him. And he was chastised by God at the end, the last few chapters. And they are quite blunt, by the way, for his lack of observance or belief in the presence of God. God, where have you gone? He's not alone. Do we not do the same thing when we have tough times? God, where are you? What, what happened? Where did you go? Have you left the building? But the Bible tells us differently. I love Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, that famous passage where God says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them, referring to the enemy. He says, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I remind you again of Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection of Jesus, 
that triumphant resurrection, history changing. And he spends time with the disciples. And then uh, in a few weeks, he is ascended into heaven. His last words on this planet, as he's going into heaven, he says to his disciples, what? The last words, last sentence. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to know if you're struggling today, God is with you. He hasn't left you. <coughs> he has not abandoned you. He's here. He's with you. <coughs> the last bad theology I give to Job's wife. I'm not going to read the verse to you, but you probably know it. She's famous, and she's famous for this one passage because it's the only time she's in the Bible. He loses all the kids, and to be fair to her, she lost her children as well. And Job is sick, they're penniless. And so his wife comes to him and says, what? Why are you holding on to your integrity? So she says, why do you keep trying? Not very encouraging, ladies. Don't, don't ever say that to your husband. What she's saying basically, she says, why are you holding on to your integrity? Curse God and what? Die. Give up. Get it over with. God's not been particularly good to you. Just quit. Again, ladies, don't, don't say that to your husband. <laughs> Do the opposite. And so that's bad theology. And I think her theology was very similar to his. She's thinking, obviously, you're under the curse of God. Why don't you just curse him back and get it over with? He's done with you, obviously. Now, here's what you don't know or what they didn't know. <laughs> The, and this is interesting. I love this. The best part of Job's life is not behind him. It's in front of him. He doesn't know it. More, more riches, more crops, more herds, more of everything. God is going, and we'll get to that in a minute. But right now, he's having a tough time. And so bad theology number three, just give up. So here's my challenge for you for 2022. One challenge this morning, and it is this. Don't define your year or your life by bad things that happened in the past. Don't define your year or your life by bad things that happened in the past. I gave you probably one of the most famous illustrations of that, and it is Abraham Lincoln. You've probably read about him and seen a synopsis of his life before, but he was a failure for most of his life. He failed in business when he was 21. He was already in business at 21, failed. He was defeated in a legislative race at age 22. He failed in business again at age 24. He over the, overcame the death of his sweetheart at age 26, but it was not easy because he had a nervous breakdown at age 27. He lost a congressional race at age 34. Again, he lost another congressional race at age 36. He lost a senatorial race at age 45. He lost a senatorial, senatorial race again at age 47. 
Time and time and time again, he was probably the biggest loser that had ever lived. Every time he ran, he got defeated over and over and over again. He had tragedy in his life. But you know what? We don't remember him for that stuff, do we? We don't because he just kept trying and moving forward. And so when he was 52, he was elected president of the United States and changed history. Lincoln had many figures in his life, but they didn't define him. Don't let your failures define you. He moved on. He moved forward. Let me ask you, the people who know you best, do they think of you as a person who is moving forward or a person who is stuck in your past? In your conversations and in your media posts, are you moving forward to future hopes or stuck in the tragedies of your past? And I don't have any question you've all encountered tragedies. You know how to say this, often you can do the math. Everybody that has come before us, with the exception of two people, in the history of the world has all died. Everybody here will die. Everybody in the future is going to die. My children are gonna die, my wife's gonna die, I'm gonna die, we're all going to die. It is a part of life, it's crummy, I don't like it, but it is what it is, it is a part of life. The question is, when I die, do I want my death to define my wife and my children, or do I want them to move forward in life? When your loved one died, do you think they want your life to be defined by their death or would they want you to move forward and move on in your life? Now, if it happened yesterday or last week, I certainly understand, or last year. But I know people, their loved ones have been dead for years and years and even decades and they still have not moved on with their life. I would say to you, what if I told you God has plans for you and the best is yet to come. So I want you to believe that in faith. The past is tempting. Always looking back, we're tempted to be like Lot's wife as they were fleeing Sodom. Do you remember that? God says, I want you to get out of town. He only gave him two directives. First of all, run. <laughs> Directive number one, because God was bringing judgment on Sodom, brought down fire from the sky and consumed Sodom and Gomorrah, just lapped up those towns in a huge fireball of judgment. So he spared Lot and his family and he told them, number one, run. And number two, what? Simple directive, don't look back. That's not for you anymore. That's in your past. Just move forward. And so they're running, they're physically running along as fast as they can. They're getting away from town. They can probably feel the heat on their back. And Lot's wife, she can't resist the temptation or chooses not to. You see, for Lot and his wife, we think of Sodom as being this horrible, awful place. But the truth is, Sodom was their home. Their home was back there. They had memories in that house. Their children grew up in that house. They have fond things that happened. His business flourished in that place, in that town. As evil as it was, they have a past there. And so she gives in to the temptation to do what God told her not to do. She turned around and looked one last 
time. Of course, you know the story. She immediately turned into a pillar of salt. She was forever frozen in that position of looking back. The saddest thing I see is when people who are called by God's name, who have given their life to Jesus Christ, and they are paralyzed, they are frozen, looking back constantly. God doesn't want that for you. He has something better planned. I love Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Because there is a time to let it go and to move forward. Paul says this, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had passed. He participated in the murder of Christians. That's pretty bad. Isn't it? Is that not bad? I guarantee Satan was constantly wanting him to remember. Remember those terrible things you did. You used to hate Jesus Christ. You used to persecute Christians. But Paul wasn't having any of it because he had a purpose in a, and he knew that God had a plan for him. And he was focused on the prize. And so he said, this thing I do, this one thing, I forget the past. Time to move forward. Whether the past was the greatest thing that had ever happened or the worst, he says, I'm going to move forward because the prize is heavenward and before me. And it is for you and me as well. In this new year, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. It's God's year. And I believe it's going to be a great year. Amen? It's God's year. And I believe it's going to be a great year. Amen? I believe that. Now, not a perfect year, not an easy year, but a great year. Because God is sovereign. God has a purpose for us. And we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. In Christ, who will never leave us or forsake us, 2022 will be a year filled with hope, joy, challenge, and victory. So in the end, most of you know what happened to Job. God restored him and he blessed him with seven more sons and three more daughters. He, he, repl he didn't replace them, but he replenished his, his family with exactly the same amount of sons and exactly the same amount of daughters. He gave him more livestock and wealth than he had ever had. In fact, the Bible says in the last chapter of Job that Job lived 140 years after his sickness. 140 years. He got to see not only his new children grow up, but he got to see his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and his great-great-grandchildren. What a blessing. Wouldn't it be odd if 50, 60, or 100 years after what had happened to him, he's got his great-great-grandchildren and all of these hundreds of family members that God has now blessed him with and all of this wealth that God has blessed him with and somebody comes up to him and he's talking to him and Job just over and over again says, yeah, they say, you have a great life, Job. But he says, yeah, but remember, I used to be so sick and I remember that first family died and he just moped about it and complained about it and they say, you knew, no, that was 80 years ago. Wouldn't that be odd? But he didn't do that. God blessed him. Well, you had tragedy, I had tragedy. Let's move on, let's move forward and let this be the best year of our lives. Amen. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Father, we come to you today 
And first of all, we thank you. First, we thank you because you allow us to get over our past. You, you allow us to, to experience forgiveness and, and closure and healing. You give us hope that there is a future, that there is a purpose in life. And Father, while we all experience terrible things, the death of a loved one, the ending of a relationship, the loss of our career or our money, and we may be completely broke right now or terribly in debt, but you are sovereign and you have a purpose for us and you love us. You sent your son to die for us because you love us so much. You desire to forgive us, redeem us, and bless us. Father, help us to believe today in faith that the best is yet to come. Not just financially, but spiritually in our life. The joy that you offer in Christ as we grow and learn and mature and move forward. That your will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That your kingdom will come. And you let us be a part of it. Thank you. For 2022, even though we're only two days in, for the whole year right now, we want to say thank you for a great year. As you're praying, can I challenge you to right now give this year to God and say, God, for whatever happens in the year to come, thank you. Thank you that you're still with me. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that you love me. And thank you for giving me a purpose and joy in 2022. Now, I have to say this. As you're praying, no one's looking around. There needs to be some closure for you and I for 2021. And the closure that I'm talking about is, first of all, the tragedy. I implore you to come up to God and say, God, I release this to you. My hurt, my pain, my disappointment, my grief, I release it to you. I don't want to drag this pain into the new year. Will you take it from me? Will you help me to move on? Help me to move forward. And God is so faithful. If you're watching online, I want you to know God loves you and he does not want you suffering. He wants to release you and let you move forward. Will you release that to him today? But also we need to take this opportunity to ask God for forgiveness because we've all sinned in 2021. We've done things, we have thought things, we have said things that we should not have done or thought or said. We behaved in a way in 2021, all of us have, including me, in ways that do not honor God. And if we haven't already, I challenge you this morning, as we begin a new year, to come to God and say, God, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Make my life clean and new through Jesus. Will you come to the forgiveness of God and start this year fresh? God is waiting to do that if you'll come to Him. And maybe God wants you to join with First Baptist Church and begin your year new and fresh as a member of this congregation, serving God in this community, in this area, for His kingdom. 
If God is calling you right now, this is your opportunity. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray and say, God, I give you 2022. This is your year. I believe it's going to be a great year. I surrender it to you and I thank you for it. And then just go back and sit down. If God is calling you right now, I challenge you to do that. No one's looking around. Everyone's praying. Would you all stand? And as you stand, as you continue to pray, right now, you come.